0: Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McCleese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Veterans and Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today we have a very special guest with us, Mike Kirchner from Purdue. Mike, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great.
0: How are you, Luke? Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for being on the show, sir. Thank you for
1: having me. I'm thrilled to join you, and, and as we've been discussing, it's awesome to see how much the show has taken off.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's very, very exciting. Uh, Mike, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, sir?
1: Sure. My military story is, I suppose, a little bit more condensed than uh, many of your other uh, guests on the show. I enlisted in the Army Guard back in 2000, uh, prior to 9/11, and. The entire reason I enlisted came back to my parents telling me, you're going to college. We don't have any money, but you're going to college. And I I just had this anxiety about potentially graduating school with tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And so my decision to enlist came down to that support for those education benefits. And fast forward into my first week of boot camp when 9/11 happened, and like many, that was one of those jarring moments in life, and really altered what the next 20 years of my life have looked like. I spent a year in Iraq from 2004 to 2005, and even after transitioning, to an extent, I lost my military identity for a few years until starting graduate school, having a classmate say, Mike, I wanna start a student veteran organization, but I need your help. And three months later, we had more than 50 members and it was this realization that there's a need in the veteran community for support and, and to simply help veterans go through that transition.
0: Wow, wow, excellent, excellent. I'm looking forward to you telling us some more details about that here in this episode. So great, so Mike, uh, the question I've got to ask everyone to start off, and, and, you know, I think you're in a great position to answer this because you have your military experience and that bridges over to your academic experience for yourself, you know, an undergraduate, in undergraduate and graduate school. You've been in the classroom teaching yourself and, you know, you work full-time in higher education. So what do you see that uh, veterans are doing well in higher education currently?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And and I'll preface with saying, at times I think we overgeneralize who veterans are. And we all have these unique transitions. We all have unique experiences during our military service, uh, post-military service. But there is a theme that tends to come back related to veterans on campus. And uh, regardless of whether I'm talking with administrators or colleagues, other professors, the one thing that they always talk about is their appreciation for the experiences and that engagement veterans bring to the classroom. Uh, To an extent, veterans are are continuing to serve just by educating their classmates and their instructors about those experiences they had in the military. Uh, For me, it's exciting that engagement veterans bring with them when they enter the college classroom. When they relate the concepts and theories we're talking about to their own experiences, uh, just offering a, a, a unique perspective on how those concepts and theories are applied and, and offering that real world experiences, uh, that real world experience of uh, when this has been applied in their lives. Uh, so for me, that's what's exciting is when veterans are offering those stories and engaging in their uh, studies, engaging in the classroom, uh, not only to help themselves, but also to help everyone around them.
0: Wow. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And I, I see that pop up all the time and I couldn't agree more. There, there's a typically, typically a uh, certain <laughs> level of maturity and experience that uh, can enhance the classroom or the overall environment, uh, you know, on a campus or, or whatever they're learning from uh, and really add to what the professor or instructor is trying to achieve. And and yeah, it's very, very valuable. Um, Okay, so Mike on the flip side. So what is something that you see that uh, veterans in higher education could do better? Sure. Uh, The one thing that certainly
1: stands out, and I think this relates to whether you're a veteran or uh, a non-military student, a traditional student, is that opportunity to take advantage of the career services and the career development opportunities that are available on campus and in the community. I'll I'll speak from my own experience. As an undergraduate student, I continuously blew off those opportunities, those study abroad opportunities, those internships, uh, job shadowing opportunities. uh, When campus would bring in speakers from the community, to talk about what's it like to be an HR professional, a salesperson, work in these different industries. Those were all opportunities I ignored and blew off. And I almost had an entitled sense in that, well, I'm going to have a bachelor's degree. I'm now a combat veteran. Of course, employers are going to be interested. And sure enough, I graduate with a bachelor's in December, 2008, right? As we're launching into that great recession, I spent a year applying to jobs, not getting one interview, not even having anybody reach out. And it was a punch in the gut that, where did I drop the ball? What, where were those mistakes made? And I continue to come back to those opportunities I ignored and blew off while I was pursuing that
0: bachelor's degree. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I see this. I've experienced some of that myself, you know, my undergraduate, I, I did the same thing. I got out and I thought, OK, same thing. I'm, I'm a combat vet. Uh, I've got a lot of real world experience, I just had this degree, it's time to get a job, that's not gonna be an issue. (laughs) It was months and months of struggling, right? And and trying to understand what went wrong. But much like yourself, there were, while I did take a lot of opportunities on campus, I definitely could have taken more, right? Uh, and, And I see that time and time again with the students I serve often, it's, it's at the last minute or right before they're graduating where they're like, oh, I, I need to get to career services mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm interested in this. It's like, well, we've had that available since you were a freshman, but okay, you know? Right. So right. It's, I think it is a very common thing uh, because it's something that I still see every single semester now, you know? Right,
1: and, and, and I think
0: uh, part of the issue comes back to how we've almost propped
1: Veterans up on on a bit of a pedestal, and and everybody is military friendly. And uh, Veterans Day is a day we all look forward to, not only for the recognition, but uh, we can go to any restaurant we want, it seems, and get our our free meal. So, (laughs) right when when we see the the flags flying and we we see companies promoting and and sharing their their military friendly coins and whatnot, I, I think to an extent that hurts us as veterans because it it, it, it limits our awareness of, we still need to demonstrate the skills that we have, whether we've recruited those during the military, whether we've accrued additional knowledge and skills through our time in college, we still need to demonstrate that and, and uh, successfully make that transition, uh, not only into a different job or industry, but into an entirely different culture. And, and those opportunities that higher ed offers are those instances where uh, we can take advantage of those opportunities and demonstrate uh, who we are as veterans and, and uh, as potential candidates.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's almost, it's almost like a, a little two-way street, and this has come up a couple times on the show, but as much as, uh, as much as these employers and other organizations need to learn about us, we need to learn about them and be putting right. the effort forth, and, and you know it's, it goes both ways. They can learn about our intercultural differences, but we need to learn about their intercultural differences because at the end of the day, uh, we're going to be kind of putting these two demographics together ultimately. Right. You know? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's all about bridging those those knowledge gaps that exist. And, and uh, to your point, I think we've got a few different stakeholder groups. Veterans, we have our own knowledge gaps about what that transition experience looks like. Uh, What does it mean to be successful in college, in a career? Uh, Higher education has a role. Industry has a role. And and greater society has a role as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Mike, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, sir. So you, you mentioned before, but go into more detail about uh, joining the Guard, and you mentioned your motivation was to go to school. So, so tell us a little bit more about that motivation, what you did in the Guard, and, and what your time was like, sir.
1: Sure. So we've all, we all remember that recruiter, that recruiter who made contact with us. And, and you'll never forget their name. you never forget their face and the things they said to you. And uh, they're very re- effective at their job. Right, Mike promised me that you're never going anywhere. You're never going to be deployed. If you're ever deployed, we're bringing the draft back. So you don't need to worry about that. In fact, I'll go a step further and tell you, Mike, if you're ever deployed, I'll be right there with you. You think he was with us. (laughs) (laughs) But he had a very appealing uh, selling point. Mike, how much fun would it be to learn how to drive tanks and to drive and shoot tanks. How many other teenagers do you know that get to do that? And yeah, as a teenager, how exciting does it sound? Uh, What I didn't realize, but I learned several years later was that there aren't a whole lot of transferable skills that industry recognizes by somebody who knows how to drive a tank. Um, But
0: it was- Which Right,
1: exactly. Uh, I would love to get be, get behind the the wheel of that again, but it, it was about those education benefits, and i've I've said many times my entire service experience is one that was invaluable into shaping who I am as a person, uh, not only developing myself as a, a professional, but also helping guide really an entire new career path that, that I never even thought about uh, upon enlisting. My, my deployment experience, I would say, was very similar to many others. Uh, we were finishing up in AT. In fact, uh, we were finishing up in annual training and putting away our vehicles. I had my ground guide who was backing me up. And as you know, you're supposed to have two ground guides. And, and I'm gonna demonstrate why that reason is. So he's backing me up, you know, he's, he's doing his hand signals. And then all of a sudden he, he puts the stop signal on it. It's a very emphatic stop signal. Cutting it, cutting his hand across his, across his neck there, across his throat. And, and I knew something bad had happened. He walks up to me, he goes, Mike, let's get out and see what we just did. Oh, yeah. We had just run over a trailer. Oh, no, large, large trailer crushed the thing. I, I thought I was done. I, I thought I just said goodbye to the military and, and, and any education benefits I had ever earned. Our leadership walked up, shook their heads, said, Come on, we can't deal with this right now. Get in formation. And a few minutes later, yeah, we found out we were being activated and, and going to deploy uh, three weeks later.
0: Oh, wow wow so talk- i never heard about that trailer again <laughs> i bet i bet talk about some timing mm-hmm. oh my goodness oh my goodness so um let me ask you one question what what state guard were you serving in i was in wisconsin okay wisconsin okay. 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 So, so you're in a, in a tanker unit in Wisconsin, uh, just destroyed some government property. And (laughs) man, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but I think this is crazy. It's, it's such a cool story because I I can imagine probably lower enlisted, right? You're probably so so nervous and you're like, I'm done. Like you just said, forget going to college, forget the money, forget my whole reason for being here. And then boom. We can't deal with this right now. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, uh, I,
1: I hope the person who was responsible for fixing that trailer is listening because I apologize for what we did.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but so so I'm sure there was a, a huge emotional shift from from that you know crazy incident to being in a formation and someone saying, "Okay, we need to get ready to deploy." So what, what was that like for you? Uh, being guard,
1: you know, we, we had been put on alert a couple of times. We knew there was a possibility, but there's always that in the back of your mind that we're, we're the National Guard. What is it really likely that we're going to be called up right now? And so it was a surreal moment, uh, hearing that we are going, we're going in three weeks. And you need to start making your preparations. Uh, There's all kinds of thoughts that go through your mind. Uh, Your family, your friends, job, school, uh, all these things are, are, there's going to be dramatic changes to to not only your life, but also their life for an extended period of time. And, And you start thinking about possibly not coming back. And, and so it's just a, a whirlwind of a, of a time period as, as you're, you're counting down the days to flying away and, and knowing what, what's
0: possibly coming next. Right. Okay. Okay. So uh, you said the time span was three weeks, right? Correct. So... Right, there's a lot to do in that short amount of time, and, and your life is definitely changing gears. So tell us about when you actually deploy. What what was some of that time like, and, and what did you do when, when you were deployed?
1: Sure, we, we ran a, a checkpoint in Baghdad uh, near the airport. Our, our primary responsibility was letting Iraqi civilians on post uh, to run their shops, to to run the, the barber shop, etc. We were also responsible for letting convoys on and off posts, and like I say, that was our primary responsibility for the course of that year. Uh, periodically, we had a couple missions outside the wire, but um, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize this is my job, and frankly, I don't care what's happening back home. I think by within the third month of being in Iraq, I, I had reached my point of despising the idea of calling home because I was sick of the phone calls and, and the way those calls were going. I, I, I just didn't care about answering those exact same questions. Are you safe? Are you okay? What can you tell me that's going on over there? Um, it, it felt more like a a, a safety check-in than a conversation trying to catch up with family and friends. And so uh, I, I've shared this with, with my family since, but yeah, the last several months I was there, I, I really had no interest in calling home. I, I I much preferred spending time with with my roommate and, and the guys from our unit, whether it was going to the gym, playing, playing Xbox in our room, playing cards, whatever, and just almost isolating myself to that location as opposed to even embracing or or showing an interest in what's going on outside.
0: Yeah, you you know, I can, I definitely, I've experienced the same thing, you know, and I almost, for me personally, uh, particularly on one deployment, I felt like, of course I I wanted to answer letters and, and stuff to my family. Uh, But I experienced a lot of the same things. You know, are you safe? Are you eating? Are, you know, so I'd answer all those same things over and over. But then to all these other people that had never communicated to me before, um, I would just, I would not respond because uh, I think, I think what you're getting at is something I always thought as I just wanted to be right there, right? I just wanted to be in that location Fully committed to that location, and my thought always was, I've got to, I've, I've got to be concentrating here uh, because I want to go home, mm-hmm. right? and mm-hmm. I didn't That's want to be, to oh, I didn't want to be distracted, or I didn't want to be pulled away from from any type of the stuff back home, uh, just because I wanted that focus. Right, right, yeah.
1: There, there's certainly all kinds of distractions back home, and you can see what that experience does to a family right. and to close friends the the stress it adds. and I admit while I was there, I was a little bit self-centered in that I'm the one going through this experience and and, and why are you all struggling so much? I, I promise I'm fine. but our communication was limited to at most once a week, once every couple of weeks and, and that's assuming the internet was working or phones, weren't having issues, et cetera. And so I, in reflecting back, I certainly understand why there was so much stress and anxiety and and why those questions were warranted and needed uh, to, at some level, at least make them all feel a little bit better uh, for the time being.
0: Right, 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 right. And I think that's something uh, we realize after the fact, right? Right. it but right while you're in it's like it, even if it is a little self-centered you you feel entitled to that uh, mm-hmm. because you're in survival mode. But right. then, when you're on the other side, you're. I, I mean, I think now, now as a father, I'm like, okay, if that was my child, I probably would not have slept. You know, if mm-hmm. I did, if my child did to me what I did to my parents, right? <laughs> yeah, you know? so right, absolutely. So so after this deployment, tell did you did you go back to the guard and stay in the guard or did you like i've had enough i'm done What what was that like for you yeah
1: so i had a promotion held over my head for my last year and a half of enlistment i i sat in front of the board passed the board and all i had to do for that promotion was re-enlist and it was a, a very difficult decision. My my biggest concern was I, I didn't wanna deploy again and find out I'm not gonna earn this bachelor's degree until I'm 27, 28 years old. And while we were promised we would not deploy again for several years, I had had a bad taste in my mouth from what I was promised earlier and sure enough i held off and one year later they were deployed again
0: and wow uh, wow okay i was gonna say you were told that once before mm-hmm. but but lo and behold they did actually deploy again
1: Yep, they wow. did
0: wow they did yeah and that the tactic the tactic uh the reenlistment tactic is, is the common tactic, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're so close. If you just stick around, you'll get this. There's no reason in us uh, promoting you if you're just going to get out. And uh, I, I know in active duty, it's it's probably the same in the guard, but uh, there's a lot of scare tactics. Well, What are you going to do? What are you going to do next? Right. You know, like life kind of ends after that. Right. Uh, so, yep. so, okay, so you decide to get out and, and you know, probably... For the pace of life that you were wanting that was probably a solid decision so what, what was that like when you uh when you were transitioning back from the guard them trying to get you to stay you decided to get out and you are going to be a full-time student now
1: a full-time student okay. go back to to doing work um it, uh, being a guard uh, my experience is uh, no doubt quite a bit different than, than somebody who serves on active duty for three plus years, three, six years, whatever,
0: um, because
1: I only had to be on that active duty full time for a, a little over a year. And so outside of that deployment, there was a little bit of just this expectation of, okay, well, go back to doing what you were doing before you took your trip. And it it was really at that point where I I completed my enlistment and transitioned out, uh, where I kind of came to this point where I had to accept my time in the military is over. I I didn't necessarily want to put the uniform on anymore. So so that was a, a bit of a relief. And it was just this time to put that chapter behind me and and move on. I do recall frequently, whether it was in the classroom or at work, having these instances of feeling different, uh, different from those around me. I went to a commuter campus and it was one of those places where I I had to justify to myself, well, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get, The piece of paper that that's my whole reason of being here. But there were certainly feelings of isolation and a little bit of of loneliness, a little bit of unknown, uh, especially upon returning because I'm now older, at least a a few years older than most of my classmates. Quite a bit different experiences than those in the classroom with me, I can recall. Students trying to share their professional experiences and, and relate concepts that I'm like, that that doesn't sound right at all, or, or I don't understand. And, and so that, that feeling of, of isolation or, or loneliness was something that it, it took a little bit of uh, a period of time to make that adjustment. And to an extent it was just, I, I have to do it. I have to make this adjustment. There, there isn't another way around it. And it wasn't until I started graduate school uh, with that classmate who encouraged us to start that organization, the, the student veteran organization, that things changed.
0: Okay. Okay. So let's talk about that a little. So now we're going fast forward and you're in graduate school and someone approaches you to start a student veteran organization, right? Mm So, and you were kind of low key, right? Uh, Not not putting the veteran card out there. Mm -hmm. But how did that go down? We were in a program planning class
1: and our final project was to put together a program and present that program at the end of the semester. We're in our last day of the semester. I get up and do my presentation. I proposed a program similar to TAP, a week-long program to help veterans get out. And at the end of that presentation, that classmate said, Mike, I had no idea you were a veteran. We, we sat next to each other the entire semester. She said, I had no idea you were a veteran. I've been wanting to start this student veteran organization, but I need your help. And at the time, I was the, the director of a, a nonprofit in Milwaukee. We worked with low-income adults, helping them earn their GEDs, transition to college, find full-time jobs. And when she made that request, I essentially kind of, I, my initial reaction was to just blow it off and ignore it. I, I thought, there's no way veterans would care about something like this. There we're adults, we have families, we, why would we care about it? a student organization, what is that going to do for veterans? But she persisted.
0: And after
1: a couple weeks of essentially harassing me (laughs) on it, I I finally caved and said, fine, you want to do this, I'll work with you. And we started off with doing a survey of our our veterans on campus. At at Milwaukee, at the time, we had over 1,500 Uh, student veterans using education benefits. And so we had a tremendous amount of veterans on campus. And and so to an extent, it was hard to believe we didn't even have a student veteran organization. Well, we put together that survey, we had uh, roughly 300 responses. And a couple of the common themes were, not only do we have interest in this student veteran organization, but we also wanna have a resource center on campus for us. Uh, a place where we can go, have our questions answered, that is outside of simply just a place that processes our education benefits. Right. And with that feedback, that interest in building camaraderie, having opportunities to meet other veterans, uh, that became the springboard and and kind of framework where not only did we grow this student veteran organization, but uh, campus heard us, campus heard the veterans who responded to that survey, and Allocated funding to start the first veteran resource center at UW Milwaukee, and they subsequently asked if I would be the director of it.
0: Wow. Okay. Okay. So, unknowingly, when you, when you were approached and harassed to start this, you, I mean, in time, you created a, a job for yourself, right? And so this seems this seems like. Even if you didn't realize it at the time, uh, it seems like a natural fit uh, because you know you do have this graduate education, you have experience in a nonprofit focused on adults already, and then you create the the student organization on campus. So it's like all these pieces are now put together. That's awesome. That is amazing. So uh, and then I'm assuming that you them up on the job was it immediate
1: it was a difficult decision because i i i absolutely enjoyed working in the community and and i admit it 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 was a little bit of a punch in the gut recognizing that that there were young adults in the community who even had their bet or their high school diploma but didn't know basic multiplication and didn't have the very basic skills that we all need in order to to survive. But there was kind of a calling, to your point, uh, to, to come back to campus and to help develop and build this brand new organization where there clearly was interest not only from the student veterans on campus but from administration. Help us do a better job of supporting our veterans and and our chancellor at the time. And, and we had a, a, a new tran- uh, chancellor come in. Uh, they were both incredibly supportive of, of building the programming and support services uh, that we needed and that our veterans needed to be successful. And so that ultimately led to, yes, uh, I, I wanna do this. I'm, I'm in. And for the next three plus years, we had a lot of fun growing that Uh, that program.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And did you, over the three years when you were growing the program, were you growing the number of veterans who were taking part of the program? Yeah,
1: we were, we were, what we were definitely doing was increasing retention. Okay. I don't recall how much our enrollments continued to increase, but what we did do, because at the time we had more veterans on campus than uh, any school in, in the Midwest outside of Ohio State. Okay, And so we, we had such a, a dramatic, uh, dramatically high number of veterans. I, I don't know how much further we could have gone, but it was exciting to see our retention rates grow and, and especially seeing those rates grow from the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, demonstrating wow, after a five-year decline in retention, all of a sudden things shifted, and, and we started going up, and uh, by the time I left, we, we were over 90% retention for those student veterans using education benefits. Oh, wow. And, and that was somewhat stunning, but also something I was very proud of.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so then, you you stay there for three years, correct? And Just this, over three years, yes. Okay, over three years, and then what was your next chapter like? Where did you go from from there?
1: Well, I, I finished up that that final degree, that doctorate, one, and uh, it was one of those uh, transition points where you start asking yourself, okay, where can I go? What can I do? Um, Is this the right place for me, staying in student affairs? And I got back to thinking about something I had said off the cuff in an interview a a few years earlier. When the person interviewing me, the CEO of this nonprofit said, Mike, why do you want this position? And at the time, I was helping a couple dozen students. And I said, well, if I can have this one, then I can help a few hundred students at a time and I use that same rationale for my move into a faculty member role into a professor role and that not only can I continue to be a practitioner of source and work with organizations around the country and building their veteran programming but I can also do research and publish peer-reviewed articles and books and book chapters etc. cetera. Uh, share my story and share the story of other veterans, all toward bridging that knowledge gap that exists. And so, my thought was, yes, I get to help uh, a substantial number of veterans now, but hopefully, through this work uh, in, in a in a professor role as a, as a scholar, I can make a, a impact at an even greater level. Awesome, awesome.
0: So, and then when you were taking up that role, where, where, where did you start that role?
1: Well, that comes back to using your network and taking advantage of, of the mentors, the, the people that care for you, show an interest in, in your development. My doctoral advisor, he accepted a position at Purdue the year prior, right as I was starting to write my dissertation. Okay. And I I was thrilled for him. I mean, Purdue's obviously a good school and whatnot. And we maintained contact, we continued to publish together. And as soon as I finished off that dissertation, he he reached out and said, Mike, I have a visiting professor position for you if you're interested. That's awesome. The funny end up, at the time I had applied for four positions. My my wife and I wanted to move south. And so we applied for one in South Carolina, Florida, Texas, and Hawaii. And so as we look at the, where the equator is located, <laughs> Indiana's not that much further south. And so the, the first thing out of my mouth, I had no idea this was coming. The first thing, I'm, oh, it's just not that far south. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, in hindsight, it uh, probably wasn't the thing I should have said to him. Thankfully, we're, we're friends and we have a great relationship uh, b- because those positions can be very difficult to, to come by. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, yes, we, we accepted it. We, we moved to West Lafayette. And then a year later, a, a tenure line opened up at the, the Fort Wayne campus. And so we moved out here.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so a couple things. I think number one, when we when we uh, ask the universe for things, we got to be really specific, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because you did go, you did go south, right? uh, But like you said, it's just not not super far, right? Um, But and and I tell you, this is this is a great point you make. Uh, Opportunities like this don't pop up, right? Almost almost never the way way it happened with you. And I think this is interesting for the non-academic side of people to understand because I, if I'm on a veterrati call or something, often I get the question of like, well, how do you how do you get into academics? How do you start teaching? You know, I've been in business for 20 years and I'm tired of it, so I want to teach now. <laughs> it's right. Like, right. Uh, well, how many articles have you published? How many presentations have you done? Uh, How many courses have you developed? People just think like you just roll on over and and a whole bunch of higher ed jobs, but the reality is there's not.
1: (laughs) It's incredible how competitive it is. I I, I was fortunate that I had a few peer-reviewed articles published while while I was in grad school. Uh, I had taught a grad course while I was finishing up the doc program, Uh, so I, I had those things going for me, but to your point, it, it, it's incredibly difficult to land a position, uh, much less at, a, at, a, at a, 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 a in our one school, a, a good school, right? And so right. it was something that you just couldn't turn down.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And what was your what was your doctorate in, Mike?
1: Uh, human resource development.
0: Okay. And did you for your dissertation? Did you focus on anything veteran related? You did. Veteran as leader
1: the lived experience with army leader development.
0: Okay. Okay. So lived experience, so you did a uh, uh, qualitative? Qualitative phenomenological study. Okay. And how many people were you, did you interview for this phenomenon? So was,
1: it, was, it was a study where uh, basically it was grounded in the idea that we often in society prescribe veterans as leaders. And we talk about in industry, well, we want to hire veterans because uh, they've got so many soft skills they're they're such good leaders and team members and but we never parse out who are we talking about? Are we talking about n c o s we talk officers right we We talk about veterans in this very general idea that we're all leaders, and so I wanted to understand what were those influences for you as a a junior enlisted prior to having any type of formal title, what was your leader development experience look like? And I was able to find 10 veterans who were willing to participate not only in an extensive survey but also in an hour-long interview. What was that experience look like? What were those experiences that uh, informed and kind of guided your pursuit of a military career, uh, particularly in the Army? What were those experiences like and, and how have they shaped who you are
0: today? Very interesting. Very interesting. So, so without getting into your whole thing, we can have people look it up on ProQuest, but um, can you tell us like maybe a, a couple of your findings? Like what, what was like maybe your top two strongest themes? Sure, sure. I would say
1: uh, the big finding for me that to an extent I thought was interesting, but I think for anybody listening who has served in the military, possibly the biggest influence in their leader development was simply observing poor leaders. To a person, those I met with and spoke with were able to talk about individual leaders where they had a negative experience or they saw negative things and behaviors and actions from those leaders and how that informed how they want to be as a leader. Uh, I don't wanna act like that. I don't wanna talk to subordinates like that. Uh, I I don't wanna behave in that manner. The other incredibly uh, influential aspect of their leader development was simply performing as a leader and seeing how others responded to them. Uh, Reflecting on those experiences, making adjustments in the future. Uh, Those were probably the two biggest Influences for these participants was not only observing those bad leaders, but also performing as a leader, seeing how others responded to them and then reacting to that.
0: Very interesting. Very interesting. And okay, so I like that this answer came out because I think from the outside looking in, you know, and the civilian idea formed by movies and and books and a hodgepodge of stories. I think the assumption always is, okay, well, everyone in the military has insanely great leadership skills, and the hierarchy is so rigid that everyone underneath listens to their every word, and uh, that couldn't be any more far from reality, right? right? And I I know from my personal experience, it's like uh, out of all the platoon commanders I had, I had one that was an absolute rock star and is, is still in. He's still in. And and he kicks butt and is just an insane person. I would follow him today. Then I had one that was okay, and the rest uh, were exactly like what you are talking about here. I remember thinking, like, is this for real? Is this person mm-hmm. for real? They want us to do this. This contradicts everything that we were taught in boot camp. You know, this contradicts good leadership. Uh, and then it was a day in, day out example of what not to do. Right. 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 And, and certainly they
1: spoke about the positive leaders. And, and to your point, remembering those names, those people that inspired them, that they would, they would follow in a the, in the combat anywhere. But it was those ineffective leaders that elicited the very passionate responses. I mean, you could see it in their body language, how they, they, they just changed as a They tensed up. You could hear it in their voices. Uh, those were the individuals that you could tell were incredibly influential in in what they believe is is true leadership versus uh, not
0: right very interesting very interesting awesome and so mike so now with your focus and i assume you're still still writing and, and all that good stuff do you, does your time in the military and your time kind of like on your focus and your dissertation, does this still influence the type of things that you like to research?
1: It's kind of incredible how starting that student veteran organization and that deployment and, and just remembering those experiences has the last 10 years have been veteran career transition focused as a practitioner. whether whether at UW-Milwaukee and their Veteran Resource Center. I'm currently the director of our our military student services here at Purdue-Fort Wayne. Um, So I still get to operate as a practitioner and interact with student veterans, build programming and support services that that truly help us demonstrate we are a military-friendly institution. But then I also get to serve as a scholar and continue doing research I've had a lot of fun over the last few years doing research on even, what do we mean by military friendly? Across the board, we can all say we're military friendly, but we don't have any criteria or guidelines where anybody's gonna be able to say, no, you're not. There's consequences to being able to freely describe ourselves as something that nobody can say anything about. And so for the last few years, uh, not only bridging the knowledge gap that exists on just what does military service look like and and what are those traits and attributes that are developed, uh, but also what are the roles of higher education and industry in terms of supporting those transitions? Uh, Higher education wants veterans, whether it's for the, the dollars that are tied to veterans or Just those professional experiences and that knowledge veterans bring to the classroom uh, or industry saying they want veterans because of uh, their professional experiences, their professionalism, the, the attributes they bring. Okay, well, we're stakeholders here. And so what is our role in supporting those transitions to helping ensure we can leverage those attributes that veterans bring with them? Right, right,
0: right. And i think you're in a, in a great position here because uh, you know researching and, and writing about things and having impact within a discipline is very important and is, is very neat and is fun even if it is a lot of work however being able to apply it directly to a, a service type position is is i think probably one of the most important things we can do for other people because you, you're, you're really, you're writing that and you're researching that. And so you're staying abreast of what others are saying about it, right? And then you're, you're bringing all that back, what you're finding, what they're finding, and then helping people directly. Uh, and I think you make some good points that you're able to be more honest and be more critical of what these definitions are when we're labeling things, where we are serving others and, and potentially impacting their future in a very big way. Right, right. Yeah,
1: we, we look at uh, veteran retention, whether it's in higher education or uh, in industry. Something like two thirds of all veterans leave their first non-military job within two years. And- Absolutely. And the, the concern that employers should have is if we're going out of our way to invest these resources into finding them, and hiring them, we should definitely be interested in retaining them longer than or a year or two. And by better understanding what we mean by military-friendly and how we can better support these assets to our organization, uh, hopefully we can make a dramatic improvement to those retention rates, to those job satisfaction rates and, and overall productivity rates of, of our veteran employees.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a couple elements to that. You know, I think uh, one of it, and and we have mentioned it before earlier, it's a cultural or intercultural aspect, right? I don't think, and again, it goes back to the organization knowing more about veteran culture, but also the veteran stepping in and learning about the organization. And then I think there's a, a certain kind of work efficacy that organizations kind of sleep on with veterans. I think they expect some things in some areas that may not necessarily be uh, true, right? Like pristine leadership right out of the box, one of the examples right. from earlier. But then there are some uh, of those things that I don't think they capitalize on. And at the end of the day, some veterans are are like, well, I think I could be pushed more in this area or provide more in this area. And you know, after a year of being overlooked, or not considered, or you know that not being part of the conversation. I think people are like, okay, well, I'm going to move on. Right. Uh, right. Then, if not that first year, as you mentioned, definitely by that second year, you know. And those numbers are extremely high, so it's not just one organization or one set of veterans. It's it's something that is going on nationally.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's certainly a need uh, across the board, uh, not only understanding that what we mean by military friendly, but how do we improve that onboarding experience uh, of veterans uh, even after hire, okay? What does it look like to onboard this person and, and acclimate them to our organization? Uh, not only our organization's culture, but uh, even simply socializing them with, with other employees in the organization, making them feel like they fit and they're a part of the organization. It's those types of things that that dramatically affect retention rates and satisfaction, and and those are opportunities we have to to do more research and to improve across the board.
0: Awesome. So speaking of that, <laughs> my next question, uh, Mike, what do you have? What do you have going on now? What's your what's on the horizons for you? And and are you? Are you going to produce any more research coming up? Is there anything we can be looking out for from you? Sure,
1: we've 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 published some research on the largest companies who are, are regularly recognized as military friendly. We've what are they doing. We've published a study with with a few dozen employers where we interviewed and surveyed them about their military friendly practices and, and more simply, what do they understand about military friendly? Uh, getting started in a study now on the other side of things. What we haven't seen yet, what, what we don't have in the research relates to what do veterans think it means to be military friendly? Obviously that's an important voice to have at the table and, and we haven't heard it yet. At the same time, I've got another paper coming out hopefully soon uh, related to that onboarding experience of military veterans and and simply offering a framework for organizations to better understand uh, the four, I guess, quadrants or phases of an onboarding experience that recruitment, hiring, orienting, and socializing, how do those all align and how can we tailor our veteran-friendly practices to improve that onboarding experience across the board. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm kind of being pulled into this natural direction of a better understanding, how do we support all career transitions that, that all employees make? Uh, regardless of industry we come from, anytime we change jobs, there are nuances. There, there's a new culture, uh, a new job that we have to acclimate to. And frankly, I'm seeing a lot of those same challenges that other employees face that, that veterans face as well. And so there is this natural progression into be- just better understanding how do we better support the transitions all employees make, uh, regardless of, of their background or military affiliation.
0: Right. Wow. Very, very cool. Very cool. And exactly the research from the standpoint of the veteran is definitely needed, right? So many other services. I think the first thing we do is say, okay, well, what do the people want? Let's ask them, right? Mm, right. Like standard business practice. It's standard in other areas. It only makes sense that it's standard here or should be standard. Hopefully right. What you're doing will help make it a standard. So absolutely, man, that's exciting. That's exciting. Is there anything else you would like to, to tell the audience?
1: Uh, I, I just want to, again, thank you for, for starting this podcast. I, 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 I've struggled for years with how do we address the knowledge gap that exists related to the military and, and uh, who veterans are, those stigmas and stereotypes. And it's, it's through these shows and, and, bringing on so many awesome voices and and having so many stories shared uh, that help to bridge those gaps and help us better understand what does military service look like? Uh, The the overwhelming majority of us never even see combat. Uh, Many of us are never deployed. And and yet we have these perceptions that we're, we're taking time bombs or we have PTSD or even if we have mental health, challenges that we're we're dealing with, uh, that doesn't mean we're we're gonna go off on everybody. It doesn't mean uh, there are terrible consequences that are going to come. To a large extent, I think we can start doing a better job of addressing veteran career transitions by simply helping veterans find purpose. Find a new purpose post-military service. And I've said many times, we all say we're too busy. But at the end of the day, if there's something we're passionate about, we find time for that. And I think that holds very true for veterans. Once we get out of the military, if we find something we care about and are passionate about, we're going to commit ourselves to to seeing that through. Uh, We're going to commit our time, our energy to to making sure we're happy and and that we're making that impact that we want to make. And so, I I encourage all veterans. uh, And if if you know a veteran who's struggling, start off with that sense of purpose and and helping them find it.
0: Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. You know, it's uh, it's something I think we all need as humans. Period. But uh, it is one thing as as a veteran, you know, to be part of something so big, and then uh, to have all these kind of consequences and questions and everything that comes along. Once you're not a part of that, uh, at least not directly anymore, and uh, yeah, I, I think while it's human to to want to have that purpose, it's even a little more hyper-intensified in, in our population. You know, I agree. finally, I think I think this very nature of service just pulls a person who's looking for a little bit something you know larger than themselves naturally anyway, often. You know, Absolutely. not always, but often. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today we have been talking with our very special guest, Dr. Mike Kirchner of Purdue, Fort Wayne. And uh, we've been hearing about his awesome research, his experiences in the military and what he's doing on campus to help the younger generation of student veterans. So Mike, thank you so much for being on our show, sir. Thank you, Luke, for having me. Thank
1: you for everything you're doing greatly appreciate
0: Absolutely. it. It's my honor. It's my honor. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As always, this is Dr. McLeese. You've been listening to Veterans and Academics, and we thank you for listening. We thank you for your support. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McCleese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.